<laughs> so how's everybody tonight? You got me, brother? Cool. If you got your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Numbers. We're going to continue the journey through the wilderness as we uh, take a look at some of the challenges that met with uh, the children of Israel. And as we're coming here now to, to chapter 22 of, of the book of Numbers, we are just prior to uh, the conquest that's going to lead in. Now, ultimately, here in the next few chapters, we're going to see um, Joshua prepared to take over. We're going to see the children of Israel ready to enter into the promised land, where a generation earlier they had been afraid. Uh, but be- before we get to that point, before we get to Joshua, we're going to go through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' final words to the children of Israel, which is pretty cool. As we close out numbers and we look at Moses' final word to the children of Israel, his word of encouragement, his word of, of the challenges they have yet to face, and uh, in the future, guiding and leading them, showing them what's going to take place in terms of... Uh, uh, how to notice uh, a false prophet, all those things we'll find as we go through the book of Deuteronomy. It's interesting because as we look at Numbers chapter 22, remember last time the children of Israel had to go around the land of Edom. And the Lord laid out for the children of Israel not to strive or not to fight, not to war against their family. And the Edomites, you remember, the, the father of the Edomites was Esau. And the father of the Israelites was Israel, or Jacob, brothers. They're also going to be told not to do battle, at least at this point right now, against the Moabites. Why? Because, again, they're related. Abraham, children of Israel came through him, but his nephew's name was Lot, and Lot's kids became the Moabites. So the Lord's going to lay out this concept for them. But the problem is, the king of Moab, he doesn't know that the Israelites are not going to attack. And if you remember last week, the last thing we talked about was Og, the king of Bashan. Og, the king of Bashan, was a giant. The Bible tells us that. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that he slept on a bed six feet wide and 18 feet long. He was a big guy, like, like Goliath before him. And we talked about the allusions to what the Bible calls the Nephilim or the fallen ones that were in Genesis chapter 6 and after that. In the book of Numbers, we see them twice laid out for us there. So as we looked at it, we see the children of Israel fighting against the one thing they were the most afraid of before they went into the land, remember? We can't go in there. They're giants in the land. They're too big. They're too mighty. They're too strong. And the Lord gives them a great victory because the key to victory will always be the same, right? The key to victory is the Lord with you or is he not with you? If the Lord's with you, you're good to go. If he's not with you, you might as well stay home. The Lord gives them this great victory from Og of Bastion we see at the end of chapter 21. And look what it says, chapter 22, verse 1. The children of Israel moved encamped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. They're on the east side now of Jericho, the east side of the, of the Jordan River. And now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said 
to the elders of Midian. Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Now, Balak, we'll, we'll see as we continue to study, was not a Moabite. He was from Sihon. The king of Sihon had set up Balak as king of the Moabites. Now, Balak, sitting on the throne of the Moabites, looks at, here comes the children of Israel. Now, remember, not some small camp, right? You look down on the camp of the children of Israel, you're looking at two and a half million. A huge army. And we know that they're going, at some point, to enter into the land of Canaan and take the land of Canaan. What right did they have to the land of Canaan? The Lord said, the Can- Canaan is mine. I'm the landlord and I'm giving it to you. These guys won't move. You're going to come take it. Wherever you put the sole of your foot, I will give that land to you. He was told in the book of Genesis that it would be at least 400 years until they entered into the land of Canaan until the sin of the Canaanites was complete, was full, until their iniquity was full. So when the iniquity is complete, the time is ready, God's going to move them in. Balak is terrified. Balak is sure they're going to come against him. They're sure he's going to come against Moab. He's sure he's going to, he's going to wipe them all out. So look what happens in verse 5. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him saying, look, A people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. He sends for this unique person in Scripture, somewhat anyways, Balaam. Who's Balaam? He's not an Israelite. He's not one that we see brought up through the the proper lineage. He's not one that we see typically that would be speaking for or that God would be speaking through. Yet here we see this prophet, this guy, Balaam. We see him in the land of Pethor. In fact, in 1933, they did some excavations along the Euphrates River. When when it says the river, that's what they're talking about, the Euphrates. They dug up a town which was near Pethor. It's called Miri. And in Miri, they they found cuneiforms, writing tablets. On those writing tablets, it, it laid out for them a cult uh, a, a, a prophetic cult that was throughout that land. And most people think that's who Balaam belonged to. That's what Balaam was a part of. Now, are we aware that God spoke to people other than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? If not, read Genesis chapter 14. You are introduced to a unique creature. You're introduced to a fellow named Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem at that time, or Jerusalem, the king of peace, the king of righteousness. He was also a priest of the Most High God, El Elyon, Almighty God. And Abraham gave unto him a tithe. Abraham paid Melchizedek a tenth of all he had. So Melchizedek in scriptures is a... Is a a person, a man that we don't know anything about that had a relationship with God outside of what we see going on with the nation of Israel. 
we need to understand that the the word of god the story of the word of god from front cover to end genesis to revelation tells us the story of god's redemption of men it doesn't answer every question we were in, ever intended to ask so we see this fellow melchizedek now we see another guy like him well, think about this jethro remember moses father-in-law how'd he come and know god he's not an israelite he was a, a shepherd on the backside of the desert you ever sit around and worry about the pygmy in the amazon rainforest but who, who we have never gone to and americanized those poor little guys the reality is god's able to reveal himself to people that we can't even understand that we don't fathom what he calls you and i to do is trust him so we have this guy balaam what's he supposed to do what do we know about balaam we know he was in an area that had a cult of uh uh prophets or seers sorcerers he's he's uh most probably a part of this cult look what he goes on to tell him therefore please come at once curse this people for me for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So Balaam had a reputation. Balaam had a reputation that who he blessed was blessed, who he cursed was cursed. He had at least some level of power. And, and when we look at this and we, when we study about Balaam, just because God spoke through him, does that mean that he was one of God's kids? Does that make him a believer? In the book of Genesis, uh, Abimelech, God speaks directly to Abimelech. Abimelech speaks directly to the Lord. God speaks to him through a dream and tells him Abraham's lied to him. You remember the fellow? But Abimelech didn't belong to the Lord. When we go through the scripture, we'll see that God spoke to Pharaoh in dreams, right? He spoke to Pharaoh in dreams, but Pharaoh didn't belong to him. He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. Again, visions and dreams. He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't know him. What about the witch of Endor? The witch of Endor, who Saul went to and asked her to conjure up the spirit of Samuel. And all of a sudden, the real spirit of Samuel was there. The witch of Endor knew who he was. God worked through her. But she didn't belong to him. Just because God brings a word, God can bring a word through anyone, right? We learn that from the story of Balaam, don't we? Because we're going to discover there's a character in the story of Balaam that is more spiritually tuned than anybody else in the next several chapters. And that's a donkey. Yeah, good donkey. So when we take a look, keep in mind now, God can work and move through him. And so... But the other interesting thing in verse 6, look, the king understood that the battle would not be won by soldiers on the field. Didn't he? Now, King Balak, a, a, a pagan king, a Gentile, he knew God was with the nation of Israel. And unless God cursed them, they would beat him. So he's not even going to put an army on the field unless he can get someone to curse the children of Israel. So he goes to Balaam. This tells us something else about Balaam, folks. It tells us that Balaam was for hire. And when we get into the New Testament, we're going to be introduced to several things called the errors of Balaam. 
And we'll take a look at them as we come through them. But one of those errors is he was a, he was a hired man. He was a hired man who had at least some understanding of who God was. And we'll understand that as we take a look. So let's take a look. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, they departed with the diviner's fee. So they got money to pay him in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. You know something interesting about that phrase? He uses the covenantal name of God. How does Balaam know it? He calls God Yahweh, Yehovah, the YHVH. Balaam has some understanding of who God is. He's got the name, the name, capital L-O-R-D. That's what he uses here. So we know that there's something there that, 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 that Balaam has some level of understanding. What that level of understanding is, we don't know. Because when Balaam's faced with the reality of what choice are you going to make, he goes south. Instead of walking with the Lord. But here we see he was aware of God's name and who God was. And he is a legitimate Gentile prophet through whom God gives four prophecies that we'll study shortly. So here we see this guy, Balaam, like Jethro, like Melchizedek, maybe like Abimelech or Pharaoh, someone outside of the nation of Israel, through whom God spoke. So Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, let's back up, verse 9, then God said to Balaam, who are these men with you? God wants to know, Balaam, do you know who these guys are? And Balaam's answer tells us he does. What does that mean? God wants to know, if, do you realize the guys you're talking to are the enemy, are my enemies? Do you realize... You have the, my enemies in your house. Balaam's answer says, yes, I know who they are. This is, this is Balak, those who are, are lined up against God's people. Look what he says. So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I will be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now, as we go through this, I want you, especially if you like to write in your Bible, underline that. God said, You shall not go. God's will. Plain English, don't go. Well, again, we'll find more and more about Balaam's character as we continue to go on. Balaam starts, okay, look, he, God tells him, don't go. Absolute will of God. Don't go. Don't curse. My people are blessed. You stay here. So, Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land for the Lord. You notice capital L-O-R-D again, right? Covenantal name of God, Yahweh, uses God's name, has refused to give me permission to go with you. So the princes of Moab rose, went back to Balak, and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent more princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. So now, instead of just sending these, these peons, he sends the best he's got. 
And with the best he's got, he also sends more than just the diviner's fee. More than just what was required to hire a sorcerer. They're going to come with all kinds of gold and silver. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you. What does Balak mean by that? Nothing. Careful study and understanding of the word nothing means let nothing hinder you. That would include the word of God. What did God's word already say? Don't go. Don't go. And then the king says, no, 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 listen, don't let nothing. Isn't that how Satan is? Half God said? Did God really say not to go? I mean, maybe it'll be okay. Let nothing hinder you from coming to me. And then the king goes on. For I will certainly honor who? You. What do we notice different about Balaam than Daniel? Or than Isaiah or the other prophets, true prophets of the Lord? What do we know different? We know different that he wanted honor for himself. It, It enticed him that the king said, hey, we'll honor you. When Daniel gave King Nebuchadnezzar the understanding of his dream, did Daniel say, yeah, I'm a pretty smart fella? Or do you say, the interpretation I'm going to give to you isn't mine. It came from God. But Balaam, we're not going to see that from Balaam. For certainly I'll honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse his people for me. And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me this house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Oh, now it's a little different. It's like, uh, well, even if he was to fill my whole house with gold and silver, I still couldn't do something that God won't let me do. And then he goes on, look. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I might know what more the Lord will say to me. Why? God already said. God already said no. Why are you going to ask him again? Because he wants the silver and gold. Because he is a hired man. Because he is one that would like the gold and the silver and the renown of going and serving this guy. So he's going to say, well, let's see whether or not the Lord will change his mind. Let's see whether or not the Lord will change his mind. When God clearly lays out for us his word, that's his will. Pure and simple. But he's not saying, I want to know God's pure and simple will. He's saying, I want to know what God will permit. How far can I push this thing? How far? What what, what can I get God to let me do? What will God allow me to do? What will God permit? Not what does God prefer. God already told him what he preferred, right? You shall not go with them. That's pretty plain. So Balaam's going to seek the Lord again. He's going to seek the Lord again because he wants to do what he wants to do. He's going to make a carnal request of God. And he's going to say, Lord, what will you allow? What will you permit? And God came to Balaam at night and said, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you will do. Now people look at that and they say, Oh yeah, see, God told him it's okay to go. No, he didn't. God told him, You shall not go. 
But he wants to know, what will you permit? How far will God allow us to walk outside of his will? Does God allow us to walk? You can get into a lot of arguments about the perfect and the permissive will of God. But when you read the story of Balaam, you can see an example of it. God saying, don't you go. And it's going to be very clear as we continue to read what God's intent was. But the heart of Balaam was, I want what I want. God, won't you let me have it? And so God will permit him. In the book of James, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God will give it to him, right? God will grant unto him wisdom. And then he talks about asking in faith, not doubting, not being tossed about to and fro by by different ideas. What's that double-minded man that James is talking about? The man who knows God's will, but continues to ask so that he can have his will. And James says, let that man not think that he'll receive anything. He wants what he wants in his mind. God will allow. Why? Because this is God's perfect will. Walk in this and be saved. This is God's permissive will. Walk in this and face judgment. Isn't that what happens to Balaam? He's going to walk in it. He has some kind of understanding about who God is. He knows God's name. God speaks to him. Yet his heart to obey, to be committed to God's not there. He doesn't have a heart committed to the Lord. He has a heart committed to his pocket. He has a heart committed to what he can gain, to what he can have, to what he can own. In, in the, the book of 2 Peter, in fact, if you want to... Flip there with me. 2 Peter chapter 2. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter's going to talk to us about Balaam. He's going to talk to us about what's going on with Balaam's heart. 2 Peter 2 verse 15 says that they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam. Okay, remember I told you there's going to be three errors. The way of Balaam, that's the first one. The way of Balaam. They're going to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. The prophet, what was his driving point? There's no arguing about it. What did the Bible say? His driving point was the money, the gold. I'm a prophet for hire. You pay me, I'll go. Jesus said it was much better to have someone that was not a hired. What happened to the hired men when the wolf comes? The hired men ran, and the wolf tears up the flock. Jesus said that we want rather the true shepherd, the good shepherd. Well, as we take a look, we see that Balaam, he wants this. He asked God. God says, all right. If you want to go, go, but you're going, you're walking into judgment. Look, he's going to be walking into judgment. So Balaam, he rose early in the morning. Not the only time it said that in this whole chapter. All of a sudden, he's excited, right? I got a guy who can fill my house with gold and silver. Woohoo, I'm going. I'm going. I'll do whatever he needs me to do. I can have that money. He saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Look at verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because what? He went. God said no. God 
meant no. No was where he, what he needed to answer. And he chose to go against what God's word already said. Folks, all the time I talk to people who want to go against what God's word says in understanding what next part of their life holds. What do you mean? For example, I could have a, a, a young woman come to me and say, you know, this marriage I'm in is all messed up and I think God's calling me to divorce my husband and find somebody else. Really? God's word says that that's not what he's calling you to do. I don't, I don't even have to get out of the Old Testament. Malachi says, God hates divorce. It's not a stronger word to use than what they used. Now, does that mean it never should happen or it, it's, it's not allowed any way under God's plan? No, that's not what it said. But God hates it. I want to know God's will for my life. I'm sure God wants me to leave this guy because, you know, whatever the issue might be. No, God's word says that's not the case. Oh, but what if? Well, we'll take the what ifs when they come and we'll look at what the word of God says about those what ifs but god's word says if he wants to stay with you even though he's an unbeliever you should stay with him god's word also says if he wants to go what let him go so we know god's plain will we know god's perfect will we know god's perfect plan and i can pray and say oh god you know Please let me leave. Please let me do this. God's going to forgive me for what I do. I can't even tell you how many people I've had say that. God will forgive me for what I'm about to do. Leave their husband. Leave their family. Go start a new family. Move out of town. Live somewhere else. Doesn't matter. You just chose the way of Balaam. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness more than walking the steps that God had laid out for him. It just shows the iniquity in your heart. And so the, the same way, the same things work in our lives today. Hey, we want to, to walk. God's word tells us. It, it, he lays things out very plainly for us. It's in black and white. We can read it. So God was angry. He's mad at Balaam. Balaam, you shouldn't have went. Balaam, you shouldn't have gone because God had already said in his word God's initial word to him was, stop, don't go. And now he's going to walk in that permissive will towards judgment. So the angel of the Lord took a stand in the way as an adversary against him. The angel of the Lord took a stand as an adversary against him. By the way, in case uh, you're not aware, the angel of the Lord, especially when we're dealing with capital A, angel, capital L-O-R-D, that's the angel of Jehovah, it is always a theophany or Christophany, which is a fancy word for saying it's God revealed, manifest in the flesh. Whenever we have God manifest in the flesh, who are we talking about? Jesus. It's an appearance of Jesus. No one has seen God the Father at any time. Who reveals God to us? What did John say? Jesus reveals God to us. That visible part that visual, visible part of the, of the Trinity made manifest for men to talk to, to see, to worship. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is what's known as a Christophany or an appearance of God. We'll see. 
as we take a look. So the angel of the Lord stands in his way. And he's riding a donkey, and two servants are with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. The donkey is more spiritually perceptive right now than Balaam the prophet. The donkey sees the Lord, knows bad idea to go that way. So the, he is more perceptive. And that is exactly how it is when we choose in our heart to follow unrighteousness and run down that path. All of a sudden you got blinders on. Just like the nation of Israel and they couldn't see their Messiah. Why? They had blinders on because they made a choice to run in opposition to what God was doing and what God had called them to. And so seeing, they didn't perceive. Hearing, they didn't understand. Lest they would turn, be healed, and live. The blinders go on. You're unable to have that spiritual awareness. That's what we see here. The, the, The donkey has it. And so the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. Already. Perfect picture of the obedient follower of God. I see. That's not a good place to go. Going over here. And the perfect example of that person who's in opposition to what God wants to do is what Balaam does next. What does he do to the obedient follower of God? Well, he begins to beat him. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on the road. Get back on the road. What's wrong with you? You don't know anything. You're just a dumb donkey. I think the roles are reversed in this story right now. Well, he goes on. The angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. She pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. And then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either right or left. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, and she laid down under Balaam. I bet he was just as mad as you could get. Can you imagine? You'd be pretty mad too, wouldn't you? This dumb, what is wrong with this stupid donkey? Donkey laid down. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you struck me these three times? You know, the amazing part of the story is not necessarily that the donkey spoke as much as it is Balaam answers. I can't even imagine what I'd like to be there. I'd like to see the, the look on his face, but I, I don't think he thought much of it. I think he's just so mad. He was happy to talk to the donkey. So Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey says to Balaam, Am I not your donkey in which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he answered, no. No, actually, you have never done this before. There's a full conversation going on between a man and his donkey. There's not the, did you just talk to me? No. We're just going to have a conversation. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Proper response. Anytime anybody saw the angel of the Lord, he made himself prostrate. 
The Hebrew word is shakah. It is a form of worship. Can you worship an angel? In the book of Revelation, when John fell down on his face before the angel, what did the angel say? Get up. I'm just a fellow servant like you. What's different about the angel of the Lord? It's God. In the flesh, manifest in the flesh. A Christophany, appearance of Christ, prior to his birth in Bethlehem. And so, the angel of the Lord said, Why did you strike your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. Okay, so God has said, My perfect will for you, don't go. God's angry that he's gone. Now God is standing face to face with Balaam and he says, Your way, the path you are on right now is perverse to me. So you are in direct opposition to God. Is that a good enough wake up call for you? Good reason to stop. Reminds me of another two guys we read about in the book of Genesis. They're brothers. Cain and Abel. Cain brought his his offering to the Lord. His offering was not accepted. Abel brought his offering to the Lord. His offering was accepted. God said to Cain, Cain, why are you downcast? Why are you mad? If you do well, won't you also be accepted? Then he said something to Cain I've never forgotten. Cain, sin is at the door of your heart and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Cain, I know the thoughts in your heart right now. But what are the thoughts in his heart? Kill my brother. You don't have to do that, God said to Cain. You should rule over it. Here we see God Almighty standing before Balaam. Stop the donkey. He's standing there with his sword drawn. That's got to be a scary sight. I mean, I don't know. Seeing God of its own should be a scary sight. Seeing God with his sword drawn because I'm doing the wrong thing should be even more terrifying. So he tells him, your way is perverse. In verse 33, the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If, If she did not do that, had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now. And let her live. Because the donkey's obedient. And the prophet is a knucklehead. So Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I can't even believe this. I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I'll turn back. What are you talking about? What do you mean, if it displeases me? Are you not listening to me? Do you see the heart of Balaam? Folks, sometimes when we enter into judgment, the reason we enter into judgment is that we might recognize the sin, the iniquity within our heart. Oh, I see now that I sin. He thinks his sin was beating a donkey. His sin is that he's on the road in the first place. And he still can't see it. He still can't see it. Listen, God will not supersede man's free will how do i know i just read it is god gonna let balaam go yep 
He's not going to supersede his free will. He's going to let him choose to be dumb. God lets men choose to be dumb all the time. He's going to allow him that opportunity to reject him and continue on his journey. Well, if it displeases you, unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, we already took a look at at what the scripture said about Balaam in 2 Peter. How about Jude? Let's take a look at Jude. Let's see what Jude has to, to lay out for us. Jude verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. What's the motivation again? The motivation for Balaam is greed. He's chasing the, well, it wasn't the almighty dollar. It wasn't even the shekel yet. I'm not sure what he's chasing. Just chunks of gold and silver, I reckon. That's what he wants. He wants that, and he's blind to everything else. So, the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you will speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Again, I've told you at least twice, don't go. But you're dead set to go, so go ahead. Don't say nothing except what I tell you to say. Why did God tell him not to go and then have him go? And he lays out for us four beautiful prophecies. But he told Balaam, if you go this way, you're going to perish. Balaam is going to die without God. In rebellion against God, living among the people of God's enemies. He's going to be destroyed in a battle by Joshua fighting against the children of Israel in war against them. Balaam is going to perish. Why? Because he had to go. God knew. Balaam, if you go, if you go, you're going to reject me. And you and me aren't going to have an eternity together. But Balaam's dead set, right? I I hope that gold was comforting to him. Because I promise right now he's not thinking about gold or silver. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him in the city of Moab and the border of Arnon, the boundary of the territory. And Balak's excited. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Come on, I got all this gold. What took you so long? This army's out here. Man, I need some help. He's panicked. And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I've come to you now. Have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath-Huzot, where Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balaam, or that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. The high places of Baal. Remember that phrase, high places. Always is a place of idolatry. 
The high places were always where they went to practice sexual immorality and idol worship. The groves is another term, same exact thing, where they would go practice sexual immorality and worship false gods. So they go to Baal's high place, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. He can see all the people. So he climbs on top of this high mountain and he looks over the encampment of the children of Israel. You remember what he, they, what he sees? He sees a cross. The way the children of Israel encamped, they encamped in the form of a cross. The center of that cross, the crux where it crossed, was the tabernacle, the presence of God in the midst of the camp. So he looks down over this is what he sees. And Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for who? For me. Build seven altars for me here and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Who is he sacrifices for? Is he sacrificing to the Lord God Almighty? Nope. And Balak did what Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by this burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. So Balaam went on beyond where they were at. What did Balaam do there? We don't know. All we know is about the time we get to the third oracle, the third time God speaks to him, Balaam said, the scripture says that he didn't practice the sorceries he practiced before. So when he went, he's practicing some form of witchcraft trying to communicate with God. Some type of a pagan deal that he's going through. But God speaks to him. God speaks to him anyway. Does Balaam have a choice? Sure he does. But he's choosing to go against what God's word has been revealed and do his own thing. So he's going to go to a higher height. And God met Balaam and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars and offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you will speak to him. So he returned to him and there he was standing by the burnt offerings, he and the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and he said, first of four oracles that Balaam's going to bring. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Amram, or Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me. Come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him there. A people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Interesting, in this prophecy that Balaam lays out, one of the things he says about the nation of Israel is they don't reckon themselves among the nations. Do a careful study of the history of the Jew. Find out how they lived in every country they ever lived in. Sooner or later, they end up segregated off on their own. For 2,000 years, without a, a home country without a nation, and they retained their, their nationality and their language. Never happened in the history before or since, never will. One people, the Jew. Why? Because God's chosen, and God said that's how it would be, and that's how it is. Never reckoning themselves among the nations. 
Then he goes on to give a blessing. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. So, so we see here Balaam looking over and he's thinking, oh, let me die the death of the righteous. What's the problem with that? I don't want to live the life of the righteous. Oh, I, I'm happy to die the death of the righteous and live however I want. But that doesn't work out. He doesn't want to live the life of the righteous. Now here in the first of the four oracles, he lays out for us that God has not cursed Israel. Israel will grow. Each one of the four oracles is going to impact one of the promises that God gave into Abraham. This first one, the nation of Israel is going to grow. It's going to expand. It's going to be everything that, that God ever said it was going to be. What did God say? It'll be number more than the stars in heaven. And the dust, or the the sand in the seashore, that's how many descendants Abraham's going to have. And here, Balaam reiterates that in his first oracle, the first words that God gave him to speak. Then it goes on. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and you've blessed them bountifully. You said they're going to be more numerous than they are now. They're already two and a half million So he answered and said, Must I not take heed and speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them, and you may only see the outer part of them, and shall not see all of them, and curse them for me there. So he changes how he sees the people. Here, we'll go to a different mountain. You'll see a different angle. Not quite as many of the people. Maybe you'll be able to curse the people here. And Balaam goes. Balaam, why do you go? Why did you go when the angel of the Lord said, I'm against you. Your way is perverse. Why did he go when the plain word of God said, you shall not go? And now, knowing that this guy wants him to curse a people that God only wants to bless, why does he keep going? The Bible tells us his heart was after the riches. Maybe somewhere along the way, I'm going to get the chance to curse God's people and I'm going to make some money. So he's going to follow him to another place. So he brought him to a field of Zophim at the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you will speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by the burnt offering by the princes of Moab, who were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And he took up his oracle and said, Second oracle, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Through Balaam, the first thing he says is, God's word will never be defeated. Not one jot or tittle will pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. Because it never hinged on the nation of Israel. Though they were faithless, God remains faithful. God remains faithful. God's word will not pass 
away? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He is blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. The second oracle is the promise of God's presence. The first oracle is a promise that they would multiply and fill the land. The second is the promise of God's presence. Remember there was a time the children of Israel didn't care so much about whether or not God's presence was with them. But the second oracle of Balaam is a promise that God's presence will be with them. That God will not desert Israel. There are people today that think that when Israel uh, took their part in rejecting the Messiah, that God turned his back on the nation of Israel and now he works through the church. Israel has been replaced. The problem with that view is you have to throw away Romans 9, 10, and 11 and most of the Old Testament. You have to throw away what's known as a, a covenant that God made that was unconditional with the nation of Israel and say that God is breaking his unconditional covenant through disobedience. It just doesn't work. God said, you have my presence. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to be with you. And the shout of a king is among them. This king, God brings him out of Egypt. He has a strength like a wild ox. Now that word wild ox, by the way, is interesting. If you have a King James Version, it may read unicorn. Of course, if it's newer, it may say wild ox. The, the word is reim, reim, R-E-E-M. It is an animal that we no longer have today. But what we know about reim, if we study the word and its occurrences in the scripture, there are certain things that we know about this animal. We know that the animal had an amazing amount of strength. We know that the animal had two horns. We know that the animal was fierce. We know that the animal... Uh, that he's talking about was untamable, that the young of this animal were playful, and that it is associated with bulls. So most people look at it being some type of a wild ox that today is extinct. Uh, but if you want to do a search in the Word, you can do a search in the Word, Raim and Strong's. It'll give you all the Scripture verses. There are seven different places where the Word's used and the animal's described. So that's why we say these things that we say. When the King James, when the guys were going through it, they didn't have an animal to draw to it. So because it said that it had mighty horns, which doesn't mean that it only has one, they, in the original King James, the only critter they had that was like that and powerful was the unicorn. So that's the word Raim. He goes on in verse 23, For there is no sorcery, against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak turns to Balaam and neither curse him or bless him. He said, listen, if you're not going to curse him, at least don't bless him. But, so Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you and say, All that the Lord speaks, I must do? Is that true? Because he hasn't done 
all that the Lord spoke. He repeats the words God tells him to repeat, but he certainly doesn't do the things God tells him to do. And then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God, and you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam on top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me seven altars. You see a common theme going on here, right? Seven altars, seven bulls, seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, listen to this, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he just set his face toward the wilderness. So the two original times that Balaam prophesies or meets with God, he is practicing sorcery. So this is we're not talking about a guy in the same vein as Melchizedek, who served the Most High God and knew the Most High God intimately. We're talking about a guy who was aware of who God was, but doesn't have a relationship with him. First two times, he seeks him with sorcery. This time, he doesn't. Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. You mean the Spirit of God can come upon someone that's not God's? Well, sure he can. You remember that king called Saul? Spirit of God came upon him, didn't it? Spirit of God left him too, didn't it? What was different about it? The Spirit of God came upon him to empower him to do something. The Spirit of God was not in him. Whenever we do a study of the Spirit of God in the Scripture, there are three prepositions that deal with how the Spirit of God works in the life of someone. He is para, alongside, drawing people to the Lord, helping them come to a place, prodding people, uh, uh, drawing. The the scripture says no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Para, working alongside. Then someone puts their faith and trust in the Lord and he comes en, inside. The Greek preposition is the word en, en, being indwelt. By the Spirit. That happens the moment we're saved. But there's a third one. Epi. The overflow. Or the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. This is what happened. The epi comes upon Balaam. It doesn't mean Balaam's saved. It means he's empowered by God to do what he's about to do. He's empowered by God to do what he's about to do. And then that same power will leave. Does that ever happen? You remember when Jesus was coming to the cross? He came to the high priest at that time, Caiaphas' house. And the Bible says Caiaphas prophesied that year being high priest and said it is expedient that one man die for all the people. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to give a prophecy, but he didn't belong to God. He didn't belong to God because the Spirit didn't indwell him. The Spirit just came upon him for service. That's how the Spirit worked in the Old Testament. That's how the Spirit will work in the tribulation. The only time the Spirit indwells is when the days that Joel the prophet saw came, when I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's the days we live in today. 
But in the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. The Spirit of God empowered men to do something. That's what he does here. The Spirit of God comes upon him, Epi. And he took up his oracle and he said, the third oracle, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, but he doesn't obey him, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. He's looking down at him, and he sees what form? The cross. How lovely are your dwellings, O Jacob. How lovely... How lovely as he looks down upon the cross. His king shall be higher than Agag. Agag. Agag is the king Saul's supposed to kill. He doesn't come on for another 300 years. Probably Agag is a title taken by the kings of the Amalekites. And so here in this prophecy, Balaam is not necessarily speaking of that Agag. He could be, but he could be utilizing a title like Abimelech. In the Old Testament, Abimelech, you see two Abimelechs. Why? Because Abimelech's a title, the title of a ruler. He, he would take on that title. And the same here for Agag. God brings him out of Egypt. He has the strength of a wild ox. He will consume the nations, his enemies. He will break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion. Who will rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you. And cursed is he who curses you. Yet, for the third time, I have just attempted to curse. Interesting, isn't it? But here, Balaam gives us third oracle the third oracle that states unequivocally israel will inherit the land remember each of the four oracles deal with a part of the promise to abraham the first one that they will be numerous that they will multiply the second one that the presence of god would be with them the third one that they will inherit the land there's one more to come but i don't know if we have time we'll see how it works out Then Balak's anger was aroused. He's mad against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies and look, you bountifully blessed them, blah, 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 bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, did I not speak to your messengers and say, uh, when you sent to me saying, if Balak were to give me this house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of his own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he gives the fourth oracle. Would that Balaam had shut up after this. Well, he's not going to. Book of Numbers is not going to tell us about it until about chapter 31, verse 16. Remember, Balaam wanted gold and silver. And this road put him on a choice where he was going to make a choice who he was going to choose to serve. Almighty God who spoke to him by the power of the Spirit these four times or Almighty Dollar. 
The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. Not really. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, but doesn't obey them. Who has the knowledge of the Most High. Who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Listen. I see, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will arise out of Israel to batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of the tumult. A star will come out of Jacob. Long time from this, there's a few magi in another country who read it and say, huh, I have seen his star where? In the east. I've seen his star in the east. And they come to Jerusalem to find out where is the king supposed to be born. A star will come out of Jacob. And a scepter to rule will rise out of Israel. Verse 18, Edom will be a possession. Seir also, his enemies shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly, out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looks on to Amalek, and he takes up this oracle, and he says, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Amalek had attacked the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 17, and were then at that moment placed under the judgment of God, and they would ultimately be judged, every Amalekite destroyed. Then he looked at the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm in your dwelling place. And your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Asher is the name you might also know Assyria. Asher is Assyria. The Assyrians right now are in the middle of the midst of their middle kingdom. They're on the rise at the peak of their power which will last for 700 years. The Assyrians will be those who will destroy here the Kenites. And then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, and who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus. Coast of Cyprus. Two premium areas that you want to be aware of that are the coast of Cyprus, Greece, and Rome. Two shall come from the coast of Cyprus, And they will afflict Asher. Now remember, Asher, what was Asher? Assyria. Who will destroy Assyria? First, the Grecians under Alexander the Great. Next, the Romans. The Grecians and the Romans in ships that will come from the coast of Cyprus will destroy the power that the Assyrians have. And then they will afflict Eber. Eber, another word for Eber is Hebrews. Uh, Again, were they afflicted by the Greeks? Were they afflicted by the Romans? Yeah, yeah, they're going to be afflicted. And so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. And we would think that the story was over at that point. But we would be wrong. Because Balaam... He loved the money. What is it that Numbers chapter 31 tells us? 
Well, in chapter 25, we're going to see a plague come upon the nation of Israel. What's that plague for? That plague is caused by the men of the children of Israel having sexual relationship with the women of Moab. Where did the king get the idea to do that? Balaam. Balaam said, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you what. If you send your women down there and they take their women and they begin to open their tents to them and have relationships with them, then you open up false gods and idols and God will have to curse the people. That's what Balaam did. And the destruction of that we'll see in the next chapter. People die because of Balaam's desire for gold and silver. Did he want to obey God? Not really. Did he know who God was? Yeah. You know anybody like that? Know who God is? Know that God exists? Know that God's word is is available, but choose rather to do their own thing. If you do, then you know people who are following the error of Balaam. And you can read about what takes place in the era of Balaam in 2 Peter, in Jude, and in Revelation chapter 2. Take a little bit, uh, a little bit of a look at that next week when we get together. For now, why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can stand uh, before you, Lord God, that we can come before you and study. Father, to open our hearts to your word and to see the story of this Unique individual, not a Jew, a Gentile, who knew who you were. Who received from you your word and plan for their life. But would not follow it. God, I don't want to be a double-minded man who's so focused on what he wants that he doesn't want what God wants. God, guard us. Guard us against the error of Balaam. Guard us against being so focused on money that as Jesus would speak, no man can serve two masters. He will serve one and hate the other. I can't serve both. Father God, our heart needs to be that which chooses that we want only to serve you, that we'll follow your plain word because your will is not going to change. But if we bang our head against that door, God, you'll open it and walk us into a place of judgment where we'll come face to face with our heart and either we will see it and repent and turn or we will fall headlong as Balaam did. So, Father God, do a work in our heart and lives. Make us like your people who say, I only want to be in the presence of God, and if the presence of God tells me, stay, then I stay. And should I be bold-headed and come face to face with Almighty God saying that my way is perverse, What am I doing? God, open my eyes to see. My heart to understand, to receive, to stop and turn and live. 
And God, as I look at this, I thank you for this. That you loved Balaam so much that you came to him over and over and over. And I thank you in my life. You've given me more than one chance. More than two. God, let us not waste it. But utilize each opportunity that you give us. Not to be that double-minded man who wants his way more than he wants God's. For that man won't receive anything. God doesn't speak when at the soul of my question lies the desire to only have what I want. God, godly wisdom won't work in the place where carnality lives. So God, help us to realize that the battle even here that Balaam fights was a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle that he needed to fight with his flesh, his fleshly desires, because the wages of sin will always lead to death. Our desires will lead to destruction. Our carnal desires do not coincide with our spiritual nature. They are constantly at war with one another. So may we recognize that they're only, we can only do battle spiritually. And our weapons are the word of God and prayer. So God, equip us to obey your word and enable us to be filled with the desire to pray not only for myself, for my brothers and sisters, for the family of God. Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, even as you poured out your spirit on an unbelieving Gentile. Father, what, what would happen if you pour out your spirit upon your bride who believes, who is indwelt with the power of your spirit? You tell us, old men will dream dreams. The young men will prophesy. God, that you will speak to your people. And the Spirit will overflow from our lives to affect those around us. Lord God, do a perfect work in us, among us and through us. And may we learn the lesson that Balaam didn't understand. And we thank you, God, for that opportunity. So, Father, water the seed that's been sown tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a word of worship. We invite you guys to hang out with us and fellowship. we got uh, root beer floats right outside. Uh, we look forward to hanging out with you around the root beer float fountain. And God bless you guys. Go in peace.
Compared to Calvary, nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. Lord, glory, hallelujah. Lord, you are so good to us, Lord God. Lord, your blessings flow abundant, Lord, through our lives. Lord, may we lay our lives before you, Lord. May our life be an offering. Lord, uh, use us. Change us. Lord, uh, send us out. May we tell the whole world about you. Lord, uh, may our lives be a witness of the goodness of you in us. Lord, go with us, Lord, as we fellowship. Lord, as we... uh, As we go through our week, Lord, uh, give us opportunities, Lord, doors. Lord, uh, may we uh, recognize these open opportunities to share your love with those around us. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.